following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning, all. Merry Christmas. We'll be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And just for old time's sake, uh, in our scripture reading this morning, I've also thrown in some uh, passages from Numbers. You think I'm joking. Because, because it all points to Jesus. Uh, so let's begin. Uh, we'll, we'll read Matthew uh, 1, 2 through 12, and then we are going to actually look at some Old Testament, read uh, some Old Testament, including Numbers, Psalms, and um, so let's read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced uh, exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered, get, offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, his kingdom shall be exalted. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news the praises of the Lord. All right. We uh, started looking last week in Matthew chapter 1. And as I said, Matthew in the first two chapters is really making a case 
for why Jesus should be worshipped, uh, why he is the Messiah. And uh, we, we talked last week that uh, Jesus uh, can claim rightfully uh, the title of Messiah because he was born at the right time, uh, because he was given the right name, uh, and because he was born under the right circumstances to a virgin. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at chapter 2, where uh, Matthew continues on building his case, uh, arguing that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Um, and in the midst of this, uh, he, could have, uh, he could have just said, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill Scripture, and kind of moved on. But he chooses instead to use uh, the story of the Magi, uh, the wise men, uh, to teach us some other key truths about Jesus, about who he is and what his ministry is about. Uh, so let's look and see what, uh, what the wise men, the Magi, can teach us about uh, who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our life. Um, uh, kind of continuing his argument for uh, Jesus being the Messiah, he uh, affirms that Jesus was born in the right place. Uh, this is a key truth, of course, uh, the place being Bethlehem. Uh, and three times Matthew makes clear that not just any Bethlehem, but Bethlehem of Judea. And if you know much about uh, biblical archaeology, you would know that uh, there's actually more than one Bethlehem. Uh, there's a Bethlehem actually in Galilee, uh, much nearer to, to uh, Joseph's home in, in Nazareth. Uh, but if Jesus is, is truly the Messiah... It's critical that he be born and come from Bethlehem in Judea. And uh, for many people who uh, Matthew was writing to, they may have known of Jesus and heard him called Jesus of Nazareth. And so if he's Jesus of Nazareth, they may think, well, Jesus is a Nazarene. He's not from Bethlehem. He couldn't be the Messiah. And so uh, Matthew uses this story to make it clear that indeed uh, Jesus was born and was originally uh, from uh, Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, this Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. So, of course, that gives it messianic importance. But more importantly, um, uh, it was, it was uh, the place that Scripture affirmed uh, that the Messiah had to be born. It was interesting. A few years ago, I was in, uh, had the chance to go to Israel and uh, we were touring around with this um, Jewish uh, tour guide, uh, and we actually had gone to, to Nazareth, and, and you know, as you're taking these bus rides, the tour guides are chatting away about all kinds of uh, history, and, uh, but from a very Jewish perspective, right? And she went on and on trying to explain why Jesus was not actually born in Jesus uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, that he actually was born in the other Bethlehem. And of course, this was important for her because um, she doesn't want to accept Jesus as Messiah, right? Uh, and if she could make her case and prove that Jesus was not born in Bethlehem in Judea, he could not be the Messiah. And that was her point. Uh, I didn't argue with her, but I think she was off. Um, and the reason she's off is because uh, Scripture affirms otherwise. And so... Um, so, as the story goes, uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, okay, Matthew's very specific here, which one? In those days of King Herod, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem seeking him, saying, Where is he who is born G- king of the Jews? For we saw a star, and we have uh, come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
along with all Jerusalem, and they assembled the chief priests and the scribes, and they inquired, where was Christ to be born? And it's interesting, the scribes and the priests and and the the students of the Old Testament didn't have to go, give us some time while we check this out. They knew this prophecy. And so they quote Micah 5.2 along with... um, in Matthew's, Matthew actually combines Micah 5.2 with 2 Samuel 5.2. Um, and it's important that we know the bigger context of Micah 5.2. It's a very messianic passage, very much pointing to this one who would come who would be king and deliverer of Israel. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Which, by the way, if you're really quick and you look what Matthew wrote, he adds one little word. Because he does not say uh, Bethlehem is too little. He said Bethlehem is what? Not so little. right? Not, so he tweaks it a little. Um, uh, you are too little among the clans of Judah. From, uh, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. His coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall be given up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, uh, his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So this passage envisions this ruler coming who will rule to the ends of the earth, and who will redeem Israel and set them free. Second Samuel 5, 2 um, is also uh, at the end the the, past, the part about shepherding my people, and these are words that were actually spoken uh, to to David when the people were uh, urging him to be king. And it says, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you, that is David, who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over them. Oh, so these these passages point to the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And so it was vital and critical that that Jesus uh, come from there and be born there. And so the Magi confirmed that. And in fact, they become witnesses in Matthew's story that uh, verify this is in fact where Jesus was born. And so we know that uh, uh, they get this word and, and, and Herod says, you go look for him and you tell me where he is so I can worship him too. Right, uh, which we will find out later, was not actually his intention. Right, uh, but they uh, they go and they are guided by the star, um, and the star is significant. It, it is also a witness to Jesus' birth. So you have for Scripture the Old Testament confirming this is where Messiah must come from. But the star also is a witness in the story, and uh, the star actually appears to the wise men in two appearances. Uh, the first, it, it, it appeared perhaps one to two years earlier. Uh, and uh, what it meant by appear, we don't know. It says, when we saw its star rise, um, and it's astronomers and, and people who study this sort of thing have tried to figure out what was going on in the sky at that time. Uh, some speculate it was a comet, although there's no known comet that would have appeared during the time frame uh, that it needed to. Another interesting theory is that it could have been a supernova. You know what a supernova is? I didn't either. I had to look it up. But it's actually a star exploding. So when a star gets to the end of its life, it, it, it explodes. 
and it explodes with a brilliant flash of light. And what, uh, what that causes is um, a brilliant like superstar to appear in the sky that's only there for a few weeks and then it disappears. Um, what's interesting is uh, Chinese astrologers in the 4th century BC recorded seeing such a supernova. So maybe that's what the uh, Magi saw. We don't know. What we do know is that uh, to them it signaled the birth of the king of the Jews. Now we also don't know how they, how they concluded that, right? Um, uh, so, but they did. That's what they, they came to the conclusion. <clears throat> and it's what caused them to go to Jerusalem and to seek this king of the Jews. Um, but apparently that star, either it, it, it disappeared or uh, it, it didn't have the same relevance. But it says that when they, when they left Herod, they, they went to, to Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is about six miles south of, of Jerusalem. And so they traveled there. Well, they have a problem because um, Herod didn't even know where this new, newborn king was. Uh, what are they going to do when they get to, to Bethlehem? Uh, look for the sign, King of the Jews here, right? <laughs> uh, were they like tour guides? Well, no, there, of course there weren't. Uh, and, 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 and Bethlehem was a small town, but I could just see them going on door to door. Hey, we're looking for the Messiah. Is he here? <laughs> right? Um, but thankfully they were spared that confusion because uh, the star appeared again. Uh, now, this star was different. And uh, theologians and, and skeptics especially have pointed out that a star in the sky, way up millions of light years away, can't reside directly over one specific house. Right Now, um, I went out last night and checked this, and I looked, and there were lots of stars. And there was one right over my house. <laughs> well, it was also over your house and about a million other houses, Right. Um, this star was different. <clears throat> probably it was not a supernova or a comet or even a star. It was probably some kind of supernatural sign that traveled that said traveled ahead of them and specifically marked out the house where Jesus was to be found. Uh, so, uh, in a very supernatural way, uh, it's confirmed. This is the place. This is where you will find the Messiah. And the Magi are witnesses to that and confirm. And they go in and they find the child and the mother and they bow down and worship. Um, so, so that, uh, again, becomes one more point that bolsters the case for Jesus being Messiah. He was born in the right place. He fulfilled Scripture uh, as it was pointed to hundreds of years before that this would be the place where the Messiah would be born. Uh, but it teaches another lesson um, and, and that is the vital role of revelation. Vital role of revelation in, uh, in finding Jesus. Um, revelation is God's deliberate disclosure to mankind of true knowledge of himself and his purposes and actions on behalf of mankind. Right? We, we as human beings are in serious trouble if it's up to us to find God. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, and I know there's some very smart people here and very smart people in the world, but you can't find God by brain power alone. It does, there's nobody who's smart enough to grasp uh, Him apart from His revelation. Likewise, uh, God is beyond the scope of science. Like, like, if you're hoping that someday science will prove God exists, uh, good luck with that, right? Uh, now, of course, science can't prove He doesn't as well. It's an important fact, even though it may claim that. But science can never disprove God exists because God 
exists outside creation. Right? He's transcendent. He's beyond the created realm and the created world. All science can do is tell us what exists in creation. But since God was outside of it, he's beyond it, he existed before it, and he's the one who made it, <coughs> science can't bring us to him. The only way we can know God is if he somehow reveals himself, if he shows himself to us. And in the story of the Magi, we, we get a great picture of God revealing himself to these guys. And uh, theologians break uh, revelation down into two broad categories, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is what God has revealed about himself in creation. Like it says in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So there's a lot we can know about God through what he's created. And for those who are perceptive and take the time to look, uh, Romans tells us that we can know about God's invisible nature and attributes through creation. Uh, but God also reveals himself specifically or in special revelation through his word, through the prophets, by his direct speaking and, and impressing himself upon the hearts and minds of men. And the Magi experience both, right? Uh, first they get general revelation. They see this star in the heavens. Um, and as I said, I don't know how they came to know that this pointed to the birth of the king of the Jews. Um, the, the Magi, and we'll talk a little bit more about who they were, but they uh, were um, from Persia or from Babylon, uh, that region. There were still a lot of Jews from the exile living there, and maybe they had read the Old Testament themselves. Uh, maybe Jews had talked about this coming Messiah. Uh, we don't know. Um, but it's not so important how they got the revelation. What's important is what they did with it. Right? What did they do when they, when they got this vision of the star that pointed to the king of the Jews? They could have just written down and say, hey, that's nice. The king's going to be born. Uh, but for them, this sign was of such weight and significance right, that the sign of this king marked that he wasn't just an average ordinary king. He was a king of great um, importance in history in the world. Important enough that they needed to go honor him and pay homage to him and find him. And so they acted on with faith that this sign was true and that this revelation was true. Right? They believed it and they acted on it and they packed their bags for a fairly long journey to go find him. Uh, and and the, the revelation gets them as far as Jerusalem which would have been the logical, obvious place to go because that's the capital city of what had been Israel. It's where King Herod himself lived. And so that's where they show up. Um, but that's not where he was, right? And that's, that illustrates the limits of general revelation. Like, I, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, I, I, I connect with God in nature. And, and you can. And part of the truth of this is that uh, you can connect with God in nature, God can speak to you and God can move our hearts and souls in ways that are important. And it's good to get out and to experience uh, uh, God in the creation. But it's limited revelation. It will never get you all the way to Jesus. And so the wise men found out. They ran out of revelation. They ran out of information. And they needed more. And so they go to Herod and, um, and they knock on his door. And, and there's a little bit of maybe humor or satire or sarcasm in this story here, right? We call these guys the wise men, right? But the fact that they go knock on Herod's door is proof that these guys are actually not very bright at all, right? Like, like just think this through, right? 
you're going to go to the king of a, of a country who if they'd known anything about Herod, they would know he was an extremely paranoid guy. At this point, Herod the Great was an older man who some people think was actually uh, going crazy. And he was consumed with paranoia. So much that he had his favorite wife killed. Right? Um, and two of his sons. Because he feared they were going to take his throne. So this is a super paranoid guy. You just don't knock up to his door and say, Hey, we're looking for your replacement. Right? Uh, it's just foolish. Right? So these wise guys are not actually all that smart. Right? They seem to be quite naive about the political implications of what they're asking. Right? This could be dangerous not only for a paranoid king, but really any king to say, Hey, we're searching for your replacement. Can you help us? But Herod uh, goes along for his own uh, hidden agenda, uh, which also shows how clueless and naive these guys are, that they're so easily uh, used by Herod, right? They're oblivious to the fact that he wants to worship them, right? I want to go worship him. Um, And they're oblivious. But through this, they do get the added revelation they need, right? Uh, Herod calls the scribes and and the, 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 the priests, and it says all Jerusalem's in an uproar. All Jerusalem is, is, is in a stir. And when these guys show up, it, it makes an impact on the city. Uh, these foreign dignitaries have come from a faraway land, and they are looking for the king of the Jews. Everybody's a buzz, right? Uh, and and the, uh, they get the, the revelation. They get scripture that points them in the right direction. Uh, and again, the response is extremely important. They don't take that information and write it down in their journal and say, well, we found where he's supposed to be, now we're going home. And that wasn't enough. They believed it, and they acted on it, right? But it's interesting that not everybody uh, responds to this revelation equally. Uh, Herod does respond, and it's interesting that actually Herod believes it's true. Herod actually has quite a bit of faith uh, at this point. He just has really wrong motives, right? But he's got faith. He believes that these guys show up. Now, now imagine if this was you. Of course, a different era then, granted. But imagine somebody came to church and said, hey, I saw this star. We think Jesus is coming. You'd be like, okay, nice, right? Uh, but, but Herod believes it. He believes this is a sign that's true. And he, he acts on it, right? Of course, he acts with evil intent because his purpose is to destroy the child, not worship him. Because he sees this uh, this king of the Jews as a threat to his own throne. So he responds in faith, but with evil and selfish intent, not to worship Jesus as Lord and King, but to destroy him. But then there's the scribes and the Pharisees, and really the whole city of Jerusalem. And we'll see uh, throughout the book of Matthew that Jerusalem and, and the Pharisees and the scribes are, 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 are not seen as friends of Jesus, right? And from the very beginning, from the very first incident here where they encounter news of him notice their response they say and they they, they don't have to search they know exactly the scripture they they know that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem but they don't uh, they, they make no effort at all to go find him it's kind of mind boggling and and in fact it's, it's even more mind-boggling when we realize that at this time there was huge messianic expectation among the Jews. Meaning, uh, the, the Jewish people were talking about this often. They were looking for the Messiah to come. 
They expected his soon arrival. And in fact, many false uh, messiahs were popping up here and there. And so here's, here's, here's a sign like, from these guys from a faraway country saying, we saw a star, we want to know where he's supposed to be born. And the, the, the scribes and the priests respond by doing nothing. Nothing, right? They don't actually believe it's true. Or if it is true, uh, they understand that it's news that would turn their world upside down and change everything. And that's what the Messiah would do. Right? Uh, if the Messiah was real, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn their world upside down. And they actually are much more comfortable with the status quo. They don't want their world turned upside down. They don't want to lose the position and power that they have and the comfortable lifestyle that they have. And so they respond with absolute indifference because they really don't believe it's true. And the revelation is lost on them. In their hearts, they do not really want to know or meet the Messiah because he would um, cause problems for their life. But the Magi respond differently. The Magi both have faith and the right intention to worship Jesus. And they follow that revelation with great intention and diligence to find Jesus. Um, uh, and, it, and in fact, it does lead them to Jesus. Uh, and it says in, in, in verse um, 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Right, so somehow this, this sign, this star, leads them right to the very house. And it says when they saw the star, uh, and the picture is that when they saw the star residing over the exact location, they came to understand that the star brought them to this exact house. At that moment, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew piles up four words here uh, that if you uh, translated literally would be rejoice with exceedingly mega joy. Okay? Uh, he can't come up with enough words to talk about how, how pumped these guys are at what they've experienced, right? Joy with exceeding mega joy. Uh, not just in the revelation, but in, in, that the goal of their revelation has come to fruition and they have found what they were looking for. And they fall down and worship Jesus and they unpack their treasure chests and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and, and, and myrrh. Um, and I love this. Joy, right? Christmas is about joy. And uh, a lot of us, um, well, hopefully most of us like Christmas, and we look forward to the joy of Christmas, right? And we use this word a lot at Christmas time, joy. There's joy. I remember as a kid, uh, for me, Christmas was a very joyful time, and I, I would look forward to the joy of getting presents. In fact, I would look forward to the joy of the joy of just anticipating the presents, Right? And I would get so excited and the mystery of it all and boxes would start appearing and, and packages and I would be, oh man, what's in that box, right? And, uh, and there was the joy of opening them on Christmas morning and new things and fun things and the, the adventure and wonder of all the surprise of uh, wishes and dreams being fulfilled. Or sometimes not, right? <sighs> Didn't always get what I wanted, but, but it was exciting, right? And there was joy, 
And certainly the world offers a kind of joy, um, and there is that, that kind of joy at Christmas. Uh, but what's interesting is that that joy never lasted very long. Like there was the day after Christmas, right? And half the toys were already broke or the batteries died or whatever. Or I was just bored with them already. And pretty soon the tree went down and no more fudge and sugar cookies, like back to just plain old food. And it's kind of over, right? And it just seemed like forever before Christmas was going to come again. And that's the joy of the world. The joy of the world is very temporary. And the, joy, the, the world does offer a certain kind of joy, but it does not last. But the joy that comes in Christ is the true joy that never ends and will never disappoint. Right? And, and the point here is that that joy comes when we pursue the revelation God gives us with a diligence and determination to find in it Jesus. Right? To find in that revelation the person of Christ. There's one more lesson here. Um, and, and I must say that I think every good Christmas sermon needs to somehow wreck Christmas. Right? So this is my wreck Christmas point. Right? How can I destroy the quaintness and beauty of Christmas? Right? Uh, so here's what I mean by that. Uh, we, 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 uh, we do have quaint ideas of Christmas, so there's nothing wrong with that. And, and it, is, um, it is nice to have candles and to have our nativities. Um, but I think we have the wrong idea about the wise men. Uh, in fact, it's really wrong to call them wise men. In fact, the translation, and it's interesting that the, a lot of Bibles translate it wise men because that's really not what they were. They were magi. Magi. And a Magi was not a wise man. He was a sorcerer in the tradition of Balaam. We just went through numbers, right? Balaam. Was Balaam a good guy or a bad guy? Well, he was paid, hired to bring curses down on Israel, right? He's kind of a bad guy. Now, in the end, of course, he doesn't curse Israel. But uh, then after he doesn't curse them, he blesses them. Then he, he, he leads them into idolatry. So mostly Balaam is a bad guy. And the Magi would have been in the tradition of Balaam. Witch doctors, sorcerers, those who use divination to find um, how to bless or curse people. On top of that, they were most likely from Babylon or Persia. Right? This, these were the people that had just captured, uh, several hundred years early, captured Israel and led them off into captivity for 70 years. They weren't exactly friends of Israel. And there's a sense that, you know, we think they belong there, right? We got this idea because we've seen them with our nativities for so long that they somehow belong at Jesus' birth. And we picture them as these very noble, wealthy, uh, dignified people coming to pay homage and tribute to Jesus. And somehow that's right, that that's good, that that's how it should be, that these people from foreign countries should be there honoring Jesus, right? These dignitaries who... who uh, always look so prestigious, right? But as Matthew's already showed us, these guys weren't as wise and as smart as, as... And he's kind of making fun of them, right? Like, how could they be so clueless as to go to Herod asking for this information? How could they be so gullible to believe that Herod actually wants to worship Jesus? Right? They had to be warned in a dream not to return to Herod because they're so stupid, right? So already uh, Matthew has kind of poked fun at them. And, and we need to understand that for Matthew's 
readers who were primarily Jewish people, when they saw the word magi, it would have been like saying, you know, well, devil worshippers came to look for Jesus, right? I can think of some other titles. I won't fill them in because I'll probably offend somebody. But um, just imagine the worst category person you can think of and insert their name there instead of Magi. Right? The Jewish readers watching this would have been like, What? What? Why are these guys in the story? They don't belong here. And to make matters worse, the priests and scribes who do belong there don't do anything. Also, it would have been very troubling for his Jewish readers. These scribes and Pharisees are they're missing it, right? They're not responding right. They should have been the ones there with the shepherds. Right? That's who should be at our little nativity scene. Jesus and the sheep and the camels and the shepherds and the scribes and Pharisees, not the Magi. Um, but there's also an Old Testament tradition, the tradition of the Queen of Sheba. And I read already one of the passages from Psalms. Let me read again. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And of course, the queen of Sheba did come and visit Solomon. Uh, this is a, a psalm of Solomon. And she brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and she honored him. And there is a sense in which actually it is good and right for these guys to be here. Not because Matthew's readers would have thought so, uh, but for a very different reason. And the reason is because uh, it is right that the nations honor Jesus. right? And not only that, but Jesus came for the nations, right? Jesus came bringing good news, not just to Israel, but it's good news for everyone who seeks him. And, and that's really uh, the, the, the third main point here. He is a king for all who seek him. Uh, God's purpose, purpose from the beginning is that his salvation would be for all people. It would come through the Jews. It would come through the line of Abraham. And by Abraham's descendants, God promised all the nations would be blessed. But God, Jesus came to be king for all. Not just for the Jews, but for all who seek him. And that is the good news. Um, and it was right and fitting, not because they were noble or wealthy, because they came bringing cool gifts, or because they were dignified. It was right that they came because they were sinners. Right? It's right that they came because they represented sinful, fallen, broken people from the nations who did not worship God, who did not honor Him, who were pagans who, who worshipped idols. But Jesus came for people like this. Right? It's good news for us because that's who we are, sinful, fallen people. And He's a King who can be found by everyone who seeks Him. Right? no matter how sinful you are, no matter how far you are from God, Jesus came for you. And He's revealing Himself to you. And if you follow that revelation, you can know Him and find Him. Um, it's ironic. The most religious in Israel, up to the high priest, missed the Messiah. 
because they failed to take the revelation seriously. But here's these pagan sinners from a foreign land who believed the revelation they were given and they acted on it and they found Christ. What was the difference? Well, one group believed the revelation and by faith followed that revelation with diligence pursuing it until they found Jesus. The other held the revelation as knowledge. They did have the right answer, but they didn't hold it as a treasure and they had no real interest in meeting Jesus. Um, Matthew's point to his readers was, are you proclaiming the gospel to everyone? And see, the Jews in his day were not. Right? They, they had decided people that they thought were worthy of the gospel. Do we ever do that? Right? Do you ever see somebody and you think, well, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to think about sharing Christ with them because God wouldn't save somebody like that. You ever think that? I, honestly, I've thought that. Right? And God convicted me right away. That's you, Tim. That's you, right? You were that unworthy person. And the gospel came to you not because you deserved it. Right? Uh, do we have a vision for preaching the gospel to the poorest of the poor? Uh, to those the world despises, or worse yet, the, those who Christian culture despise as being horrible sinners, right? Um, and the last question, what are you doing with the revelation you have been given? Right? That's the point. That's the, the, the punchline here. God has in his word revealed to us uh, from Genesis to Revelation the person of Jesus He has given us very specific revelation about who Jesus is and what his purpose is and what he wants to do in your life. And the risk for religious people is that we become like the scribes and Pharisees who see it just as nice information that helps us build good theology so we can have all the right answers and all the right knowledge but not really ever use that knowledge to seek and encounter Jesus. And if that's the case, if, if, we, if, if our goal is not to come into the presence of Jesus and know and meet him, uh, it becomes a wasted revelation. Right? Or are we like the, uh, the, the Magi who uh, with great diligence say, I'm going to pursue this revelation to the very end until it brings me to the place where Jesus is. Because I want to bow and worship him. I want to know him. And I want to praise him with my heart and with my treasures and with my life. And and later, a few chapters on, we will see that Matthew gives us this great promise in the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us the promise. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you press into this revelation, you will find Jesus. And there's amazing joy there. True, lasting, unending, as he says, rejoicing with mega exceeding joy kind of joy. Um, Or we can turn to the world and get so distracted searching for joy in the things of the world. And, and Matthew and Jesus is pretty clear that you can't have both. 
You either seek for joy through revelation in Christ or you seek for joy in the world. Where are you searching for joy? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your revelation. And uh, we just stand in awe that in such unique and amazing and miraculous ways you revealed yourselves to these magi who, as it turns out, weren't really all that great. They were sorcerers and used divination and witchcraft and they worshipped false gods. But you revealed yourself to them and they pursued that revelation to its final end, which was Jesus. Lord, may we take your word and your revelation seriously. Not just to get smart, but to find Jesus. And Lord, we would even now, we would seek him. We would seek to know him and to love him. And even now, Lord, we come to bow and worship him. And to give praise to the one who's given us life and salvation. Uh, The greatest gift your love and forgiveness. And Lord, we just want to celebrate you and lift you up now and give you praise and worship, celebrating our Messiah and our King, and in our hearts to bow before you, acknowledging your right to rule over us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.